Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, aka Usamimi. Today, I am back with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my ultra fancy name for a podcast episode that I record myself where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years take some notes on what I might remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day, since, you know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change, and we pick up on things we might not have noticed before, and all that good stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast in a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest where we go in-depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes to give myself a little bit of a break. So if this kind of episode isn't really your favorite type, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. The next episode will be a longer one with a special guest, so please look forward to it. Now that that's all out of the way, on with the rest of the episode. Recently, I was curious and posted on my personal Twitter asking folks if they preferred the subject of these review episodes being either things that were licensed in the U.S. and readily available for purchase, or if they were more interested in hearing about titles that were a bit more obscure, as in maybe they'd been out of print for a really long time, or maybe even never licensed in the U.S. in English at all. I was actually surprised to see that most people seemed way more interested in hearing about titles that were more obscure. I always like talking about stuff that you can easily get because it's nice to just throw out a link to something where you can stream it or maybe buy something and there you go. But I do admit that diving into more obscure stuff can be an awful lot of fun. So I pulled out my ever-growing list of things I wanted to eventually cover on the podcast someday and scrolled through it, deciding that I was in the mood for something a little more low stakes and fun this month. So today I'll be talking about a short 45 minute OVA with an odd name that never got an official release stateside and that's 1988's Space Family Carl Vinson. Space Family Carl Vinson is one of those oddball titles I saw back in the day of anime club and tape trading. It's been so long that I can't remember which way I saw it first. It was either fan-subbed at a random anime club viewing, or in raw Japanese with no subtitles on a tape of random stuff given to me by a friend. It was short, it was animated rather nicely, and I remember it being pretty safe for all ages. So it was something easily recommended for group watching, or for filling the back end of a long play VHS tape if you were recording some stuff for a friend. I don't remember many specific details of the OVA other than it was a one-and-done cute kind of story about a band of misfit aliens who all looked distinctly unique from each other. I remember liking it well enough, not something I'd call a top favorite, 
but good enough to maybe recommend it to a friend who is looking for something kind of cute and silly. Nothing scary, no high stakes, and pretty easy to watch. And the more I thought about that, the more appealing it sounded, honestly. In these current stressful times, it's nice to go back to some of those more easily digestible works. Sure, it's fun to watch longer things or heavier works to pick apart and analyze, but sometimes you just want to sit down and watch something that's a little lighter in tone and content. And this month in particular, I was really feeling that. It's been well over a decade since I last watched this OVA, so time to fire up this old fan sub and see how it holds up in this month's rewatch. people always comment on whenever this anime gets brought up in the conversation is the name. What the heck is a Carl Vinson? Or something along those lines. It always amused me though, because for a brief period when I was young, I lived in a navy town, which at one time was the home to the U.S. aircraft carrier Carl Vinson, named after the U.S. senator of the same name. For some reason, this was the thing that first made me interested in the OVA, even though I'm definitely not a military otaku. Simply recognizing the name from local news just grabbed my attention. Spoilers though, it's never explained in the anime why creator Yoshito Asari decided to name the series that. Maybe he was a military otaku himself? Maybe he once visited the aircraft carrier when it was in a port? Or maybe he was trying to think of a name that gave off a similar vibe to Swiss Family Robinson and he flipped through some news articles for ideas and glanced at something related to the aircraft carrier? I'd love to see if he ever explained it somewhere, but sadly it definitely wasn't here in the anime adaptation. I'm assuming that maybe Carl Vinson is the name of the spaceship that these aliens live on, but I couldn't give you a definite answer for that. Part of me wonders if that was one of the reasons why this anime even got fan subbed back in the day. 
I personally met a lot of people who got into anime and manga while they were in the military or the navy, picking up stuff while stationed overseas. I could see someone who was familiar with naval ships seeing something like this and being both surprised and delighted to see a familiar name being used for an anime title. It might have also been the reason I was exposed to it in the first place. Like I said, at the time I saw this, I lived in an area where the Carl Vinson was in port. So, anime fans there would probably also recognize this name. More and more, I'm starting to think that that was something I did see at a local anime club meeting, because it would be a fun topic for conversation for those of us who recognized the name. Of course, that's all well and good, but what about the actual anime? Okay, okay. Let me get back on track. So, watching Space Family Carl Vinson, I was surprised at a few of the major plot points I'd forgotten over the years. The story begins with the aforementioned group of misfit aliens minding their own business and traveling through space when a mysterious spaceship almost warps right into theirs and crashes down on the closest planet. When they go to investigate, they're sad to discover what looks like human refugees that had been trying to escape something somewhere had perished in the crash. Well, the parents at least. The lone survivor of the crash is one little human baby. The aliens call up what appears to be some sort of galactic space cop to report the incident, but when it comes to the baby, the cop basically hand waves it without concern, saying simply that it was out of his jurisdiction and not his problem before unceremoniously hopping back into his spaceship and flying away. Here's one of the major things I'd forgotten about, though. This ragtag group of aliens aren't just some random space travelers. No, no, no. This is an alien family traveling acting troupe. That's right, these aliens had been on their way to their next acting job when all of this went down. But the mother of the group a large, round, lavender ball of fur with big cartoon eyes and mouse-like features, decides that the right thing to do would be to set out a distress signal to see if they can find any distant family of the baby who might be searching for her. And in the meantime, until somebody answers that signal, they will stay on the planet and take on the acting role of a lifetime, the role of the baby's family. This is so cute because the beginning of the OVA is kind of like a mishmash of homages to things like Alien and Lost in Space, but then suddenly it turns into this cute sort of Swiss Family Robinson in space. Pretty wholesome domestic comedy thing about how these aliens are just trying their darndest to raise this little human girl. While one of the robots on their crew has conveniently downloaded all they need to know about parenting a human from the crash-landed ship's computers, it's still up to these very non-human alien beings to learn exactly how to put all of this knowledge into practice. The family of aliens is also really fun and unique, and even though it's never explained as to why each member is so different in this family, I like to think that they were all in sort of a found family situation. 
As someone who has had many friends in drama club growing up, I know that kids into acting are often seen as the weird, eccentric ones who don't really fit into popular cliques or whatever. And it's easy to see how these characters could fit into that sort of stereotypical archetype. But I think that's just one reading of the story, and that makes it all the more heartwarming. The characters playing the role of parents don't even have traditional names. Even in the Japanese character profiles, they're simply just mother and father. Mother being the fluffy mouse-like creature, while father is a floating robot who looks like he could kind of be related to Bender from Futurama. Other members of this alien family include Uncle Takun, a skinny and kind of creepy looking guy with a brain for a head and a Cthulhu-esque tentacle mouth, uh, Baruka, who looks like a space elf Joshi wrestler, and a couple of other robot or cyborg creatures who just seem to be general helpers. Now, here's the other major thing that I'd totally forgotten about. The baby's name ends up being Corona. Yes, you heard that right. Corona. This made me both cringe and laugh, for obvious reasons. Yes, this was made over 30 years ago, so I know the name is referencing an astronomy term, which makes sense given that it's a sci-fi anime, but currently, during the midst of a pandemic against the coronavirus, you can see why it did make me cringe just a tiny bit. Part of me wonders if choosing this title to do an episode on now, in 2020, was just my subconscious brain pulling a huge prank on me. But much like how I know Corona Beer is in no way making light of the current pandemic, neither is this 30-some-year-old anime, so all I can do is laugh and shrug and try not to associate the two things together now. Which, honestly, is pretty easy to do, as this anime is pretty much like a pilot for a space family sitcom that just never got picked up. Which is a shame, because in the hands of a competent writer, I could see this kind of thing being somewhat of a sleeper hit. Maybe even with today's modern audiences, since slice-of-life comedies seem to be pretty popular nowadays. We see a cute montage of baby Corona being taken care of in the opening credits that's very full of traditional Japanese things, right down to the Showa-era furniture that the aliens seem to have handy in their spaceship. But that's all part of the comedy, right? Even if you've never been to a traditional dagashia, it's funny to see these characters go to what looks like an old-fashioned Japanese candy shop, except it's on an alien planet and run by a floating eyeball. <laughs> it's interesting to see aliens who don't even have what we think of as stereotypical human-like bodies attempt to recreate a Japanese-style sports day festival, navigating how to do things like three-legged races when some of them even don't have legs. <laughs> it has a similar vibe to Urusei Atsura, but flipped. Instead of people having to deal with aliens and supernatural creatures in their regular lives, these aliens are trying to adapt to living like what they've read about as, quote, regular humans. 
We even see that some of them, while looking like fairly non-threatening aliens, might actually be hiding more scary, sinister forms for Corona's sake. As in one scene where we see an alien that basically looks like a talking dog turn his head and sneeze, revealing that he's actually got a face full of spider-like appendages that he quickly shoves back into his face. It makes you wonder later, when Corona starts kindergarten and they hire a suspiciously human-looking actress for her teacher, what some of these cute little creatures might really look like when not playing Corona's new schoolmates. I don't think this was something that I really noticed when I first saw it years and years ago, but this time that specific scene really stuck out for me, and it made me wonder if this was a point that might have been a bigger plot point in the original manga, or if it was just some dark humor slipped in there by the original creator or the animators. Either way, it's amusing to think that maybe a lot of the more cutesy aliens might actually be hiding much scarier, grosser forms from Corona so that they don't scare her. Considering that Uncle Takun isn't exactly cute and cuddly looking, if he was considered safe enough looking to hang around Corona as is, what could these disguised aliens really look like? It's almost more scary to not know. Like I said previously, there's no real high stakes to worry about here. The biggest obstacle in this OVA the characters have to face is when Corona goes missing during the last half of the OVA and the family splits up throughout the woods to find her. But in typical sitcom fashion, through many zany mishaps and a fair amount of sight gags, everything works out in the end. My favorite gag is near the end, where everyone's on the search for Corona, and every time we cut to Robo-Dad to see what he's doing, first he's doing simple things like lifting a rock to look under it for Corona. But after a while, each time we cut back to him, he's acquired some sort of mecha suit that gets larger and larger each time, until he's basically piloting this giant Gundam knockoff that's so huge, a spaceship crashes into him. It's classic silly comedy that's pretty universal, uh, no pun intended, and one of the things that makes it so much fun to watch. Originally, this OVA was, like many OVAs were back in the day, made for more of an advertisement for the ongoing manga it was based off of, which I was surprised to learn ran for 13 volumes. That seems like a lot for a story that basically boils down to, how do we take care of a human child? But considering there are plenty of sitcoms out there that are basically, how do I deal with these wacky kids of mine? I don't think it's impossible. But while fans of the manga probably enjoyed it a lot, I'm assuming it didn't sell well enough to really take off. This is one of those OVAs that was released onto both VHS and Laserdisc, but never made its way to DVD later in Japan. And even though it was an OVA that made its way through a fair amount of anime club viewings back in the day in the US, it never made its way onto an official VHS release here either. 
which still kind of surprises me, considering it seems like the perfect candidate for one back in the day, being a general crowd-pleaser and short enough for just one single VHS tape. But as Sean over at Zimmerit pointed out in his article on Space Family Carl Vinson, anime fandom in the 90s was a bit of a different beast in the U.S. What the bulk of anime fans at the time stereotypically wanted were titles with sex and violence, and there is zero of that in this OVA. The art style of the series' characters was also at odds with what was popular at the time, too. Humanoid characters were drawn very round, soft, and cartoony. While the robots and spaceships are drawn in what you would typically think of a cool 80s OVA, it probably wouldn't be enough to appeal to the much smaller pool of anime VHS buyers back in the day, as even titles like the aforementioned Urusei Atsura were often a hard sell and famously struggled at times when it came to sales. I also wondered if the title of the anime might have been a problem. Since it is based on an actual thing, maybe anime publishers were worried about the legalities of it? It could have easily been renamed in the U.S., as titles often were back then, but there's a possibility the Japanese licensors didn't like that idea, which I could see complicating an official release. But in any case, nobody ever did put it out in English, and if there are no high-quality masters to work with, it'd probably be a hard sell for anyone to put out now. Which is kind of a shame. Space Family Carl Vinson is a cute, charming, and easily watchable OVA. The most adult aspect of it would be a joke where one of the aliens overhears a description of what school is like and imagines it being more like an adult cabaret club. So it's pretty darn tame for an 80s OVA. The fan sub of it is pretty easily found online in various places, so if you like stories about silly, lovable aliens and found families that has a slightly softer vibe than stuff like Dr. Slump or Urusei Atsura, it's definitely worth checking out since it's significantly shorter than either of those two things. Space Family Carl Vinson has a pretty solid cast, too. Playing the role of Corona, we have Mayumi Sho, who you might know better as the voice of Chi-Chi throughout the Dragon Ball franchise, Mia Alice in Dangayo, and Mai Yume Kano in Megazone 2-3 Part 1. Toshiko Fujita plays the mother, although you may have heard her before as Rui in Cat's Eye, Hilda in Outlaw Star, and Tachi Yagami in the original Digimon Adventure. The prolific Akira Kamiya plays Takun, though you'd hardly recognize his voice here as he sounds nothing like his more famous roles, such as Kenshiro in Fist of the North Star, Ryo in City Hunter, Mendo in Urusei and many, many others. Father was played by Tesho Genda, who is best known as the Japanese voice of Optimus Prime, as well as Rei in Urusei Atsura and Umi Bozu in City Hunter. Yuko Mizutani played Baruka, but you might have heard her before as the original voice of Mihoshi in the Tenchi Muyo franchise, 
Pinocchio in most of the modern Blackjack anime adaptations, and Chocolate Misu in Sorcerer Hunters. There's even more big names if you go through the minor characters, like the iconic Norio Wakamoto, aka the original voice of Cell in Dragon Ball Z, as the voice of Ken, who I believe is the little alien that looks like a small dog man. The anime staff has some great names in there too for something so small. Director Kimio Yabuki also was the director of the old Toei Puss in Boots film, the Himitsu no Akuchan TV series, and the Japanese director of the Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer feature film. The screenplay was written by Michiru Shimada, who wrote for both the Dr. Slump TV series and several movies, as well as various episodes for classic TV shows such as Meizani Koku, Urusei Yatsura, and Dragon Ball. Masahiro Sakino was both character designer and animation director, and he was also a key animator on Kiki's Delivery Service, Macross Plus, and various Mobile Suit Gundam OVAs and films. The art director was Mitsuki Nakamura, who also served as art director on quite a number of notable things over his career, including the classic Speed Racer, the original Mobile Suit Gundam, Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind, and tons of other classics. Even the original manga creator is notable. While as of this recording, none of his manga titles have ever been released officially in English, he was a creator designer for Dirty Pair Project Eden, worked on cult favorite video games such as Kiki Kai Kai, aka Pocky and Rocky, and Parodius, as an artist and a designer. But he also designed some of the iconic angels in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Sachiel, Samshel, and Zriel, for those who are curious. Music for the OVA was done by Hiroya Watanabe, who also worked on the soundtracks for Cosmo Police Justy, Devil Hunter Yoko, and did the first theme song arrangement for Zeta Gundam. While the music in Carl Vinson is pretty standard, it does have pretty cute opening and ending themes, which Watanabe did the arrangements for, but were sung by Miwako Saito, who's actually done a fair amount of anime songs throughout her career. My favorites probably being her opening and ending songs for the 90s OVA, Shamanic Princess. So, after my rewatch of Space Family Carl Vinson, would I recommend it to others? Well, in case you couldn't already tell, I absolutely would. While some would describe this OVA as forgetful, and I'd probably agree on that, that doesn't mean it's not still cute and funny and a fun little oddity from the 80s that's enjoyable. It's mostly deemed forgettable for the fact that it's not exactly groundbreaking when it comes to plot or animation. It's got predictable plot beats, slightly nicer animation than a TV show, and a pretty standard soundtrack. But those aren't necessarily bad things. We all like watching stuff that's more cozy from time to time, and this definitely falls under that category, I think. 
It's a nice reminder that OVAs back in the day really did run the gamut in terms of content. While there's nothing wrong with wanting to watch a more thoughtful movie, or an action-packed thriller, or something really pulpy, sometimes you just feel like watching something akin to a family sitcom, and that's generally what Space Family Carl Vinson is, 100%. So if you're in the mood for something like that, check it out. I'd also recommend this for watching with your friends who are modern anime fans and might not have more exposure to older anime titles. I feel like especially modern slice-of-life anime fans could really potentially enjoy this one. And that about wraps it up for this short review episode on Space Family Carl Vinson. Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including Jericho, Felix, Retro Sofa, and several folks who wished to remain anonymous. Thank you all for your generosity. I appreciate it so, so much. If you want to get a shout out in the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast, and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find more of Carobit's music at inazumakick.com. Also, for all of you who enjoyed last month's episode on Meisani Koku, surprise! This month, Viz's reprint of the series has finally arrived with Volume 1, and to celebrate that, Viz Media asked me to write a post for their Instagram stories and blog about it. You can look for it at viz.com blog, though I will post a direct link to the post in the show notes for this episode too. So I hope you all enjoy it. And before I go, for my listeners who live in the United States, as November is just around the corner, here's your periodic reminder to remember to register to vote and please exercise that right to vote this year. Now more than ever, it's important to help do whatever each of us can do to make this country a better place. So vote, keep washing your hands, and wearing your masks. As always, I have been your host, Usumimi, and I will see you next time.